Hello and welcome to She's the Doctor, the podcast where we hear from women in medicine about their life and career so far. We'll discuss their interests and achievements, but also explore challenges and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Radhika Thakra, an oversharing houseplant-loving paediatric trainee in London. Every week, I'll be interviewing women from a range of backgrounds in a variety of medical specialties and at different points in their career, each with their own story to tell. Dr. Katie McDowell is my friend and colleague, and if I'm honest, the first trans and non-binary person that I've known socially. Over the year that I've known Katie, my understanding of gender and sexuality has completely transformed. When I thought about calling the podcast She's the Doctor, my first thought was to run it by Katie. They approved and were keen to be a guest on the show. So today's episode is extra special as it's They're the Doctor instead of She's the Doctor. I have had so many interesting conversations with them over the last year, which have challenged and changed my thoughts on a variety of socially accepted norms around gender, and I'm so glad to be able to share some of these with you today. This episode is a mixture of hearing from Katie about their lived experience as a trans non-binary person and paediatric doctor, but also learning about how we can be better allies, more empathetic doctors to our patients, and how far we have to go as a healthcare system. We hear their story of coming out, for want of a better term, as non-binary, and the process of having top surgery. We also discuss paediatrics, working as paediatricians, how gender has a huge role in neonates, and how we can better care for our LGBTQ plus patients. We touch on many important topics in this conversation, and I'm really grateful to Katie for being so open and giving us their time and energy to educate us on topics that people often shy away from discussing, especially in fear of getting it wrong. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. This week, it's not she's the doctor, but they're the doctor. Katie is someone I've worked with for the last year and someone I've learned a lot from. And as soon as I decided to start the podcast, I thought, I want to just check with Katie that they're okay with the title, that I'm not offending anyone. And Katie was really supportive and was very keen to be a guest on the episode. So I'm so glad to have you here as the season finale. So welcome, Katie. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Oh, thank you. So I always like to start by just asking my guests to introduce themselves. And I know you have a very interesting life story. So (laughs) why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners about yourself? Sure. Um, Well, so my name is Katie. Um, I'm a queer non-binary doctor. Uh, My pronouns are they, them. Um, I'm a paediatric trainee in South London, uh, just like Radhika, who I have been working with, very pleased (laughs) to work with. Um, So in my kind of life outside medicine, I suppose, I'm um, I'm very passionate about trans non-binary issues. Um, So I'm a charity trustee for Mermaids, which is a fantastic charity that supports gender diverse uh, young people and I'm also uh, the trans representative for GLAD um, which is uh, used to be an acronym but the acronym doesn't work anymore so they're now essentially the organization representing LGBTQ plus doctors and dentists and I suppose in terms of how I got into medicine so I did uh, come in in later life shall we say (laughs) took the graduate route um, and actually worked for about 10 years prior to medicine um, in kind of political consulting and lobbying, which some people are quite surprised to hear. Yeah. (laughs) Bit of a change anyway. Thank you, Katie. That is a great introduction. And those are all things I want to delve into in more detail. So 
let's start with what I really want to start with is actually mm. your pronouns and the topic mm. of pronouns because as soon as I met you as soon as I had the first email from our hospital about who we're working with your name said Katie they them and I'll mm. be honest I feel like to me especially pronouns are a fairly new concept only in the mm. last few years have I even thought about pronouns um and then meeting you and working with you has made me even more aware of pronouns mm. and it's something I now think about a lot because I think about gender a lot more because since I've met you but I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about your pronouns and about why pronouns are important yeah absolutely I mean I'm I'm absolutely delighted that that uh, you feel that you've kind of uh, it's something that you think about more because this is just it I don't think anybody who identifies as trans or non-binary expects everybody to be immediately kind of used to dealing with it when it's maybe not something that you haven't had to deal with before so I think I just try and be very um, upfront about it and I'm the kind of person that I'm old enough and confident enough that I don't really mind correcting people even if they're like senior consultants because mm -hmm. I just think it's important to you know to not to educate but just to kind of raise awareness of it so yeah so my pronouns uh, as you have have said are, are they them and, and that's because I'm non-binary um, but you know the way I think about it is that everyone has pronouns it's just that society has told you that she her and he him are kind of the main ones mm. and they're not because actually and particularly I think in paediatrics it's really important because increasingly more and more young people are identifying as kind of you know um, have like uh, gender diverse identities so are identifying as non-binary or genderqueer or or just or trans maybe binary trans and so I think just having an awareness of this it, it's really important and how do you feel when people don't use your pronouns correctly because that was something I was really nervous about when I met you and started working with you but I think you've really made me feel safe to accidentally say the wrong pronoun but correct myself and that's something I've really mm. appreciated because I think I was scared so scared that I would offend you and that I, then you wouldn't want to work mm. with me and you wouldn't want to talk to me but actually I've <laughs> learned from you that you're quite open to people being wrong or getting it wrong but as long as they're open to correcting themselves so what kind of experiences have you had with that and how do you feel when people get it wrong yeah yeah I think that's a really important point because like as I said I don't I don't expect people to get it right straight away particularly if they've never met a non-binary person before so I think the way I think about it is like it's absolutely like people you're absolutely right people do seem to have like this fear of offending people or getting things wrong and I think I like to flip that on its head and say actually the way you're going to offend people is by pretending that it's not an issue and basically misgendering them because it's easier for you to do that that's offensive whereas you know accidentally messing up sometimes with pronouns is really not and the more that you practice the more that you do it the more that you get it right and and the other thing I always say to people is um because a lot of people are like, if I correct them, they're like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. And then you kind of have to go, oh, it's okay. And like, it kind of makes it about them then. So what I always say yeah. to people is say, thank you for correcting me. And then just move on because it's, that just makes it like you're acknowledging that you made a mistake, you, you know, you're, and then you're just moving on. Whereas, so, you know, it's a very British thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. And then it becomes <laughs> this whole thing and like you just get stuck in this like endless cycle of apologies. And, and you know what? It's fine to make mistakes. <laughs> and what would you say to people? Because this is often the thing I hear is people say, well, they isn't a pronoun. And I have my comeback mm. to that. But what would you say when people say that? 
uh, is it this whole like the singular they doesn't exist? Yeah, I find that really annoying because oh, we do use it. Frustrating because actually, like it's the singular they is absolutely grammatically correct and uh, has actually existed since the 1500s. There's actually mm. uh, I saw something this week that actually it was used in Shakespeare's writing at some point. And then just think about like if you're at work and somebody's left like an umbrella or something, you say, oh, they've left they've left their umbrella that's singular they isn't it so people are kind of okay with this but then they're like oh no I couldn't possibly use that for for this person because you know it doesn't exist and it's like I think that's even more offensive because not only are you like not trying but you're saying that the way that somebody chooses to like refer to themselves is not valid and I think that's even worse because what right has anyone else got to say that somebody how somebody else experiences their life is not valid and I think that's when it gets offensive but I think the people that are doing that they know full well they're doing it doing that and I think most people are you know like you they're wanting to learn they're wanting to address people and they're you know wanting to be respect respectful of people so what I've always found really um really nice about working with you is that you've always just made it about trying everyone else trying to be better and I think that was quite refreshing for me because I was, as I said, I was so scared about offending you and getting it wrong. And even now I accidentally say the wrong pronouns and you you often reassure me and you're like, we've used basically two pronouns. We've used he, hmm. he and she for all of our lives. Hmm. And I think consultants find it particularly hard because they've used it for even longer. Hmm. And it is, I don't know, would you, would you agree? It is a fairly modern concept. Would you agree? Well, I think particularly non-binary, I guess, is like it is something that perhaps didn't exist a few decades ago and I'm like oh I can't quite bear to say this out loud just yet but I'm 41 so like I'm kind of an older non-binary person like there's there probably are non-binary people older than me probably not that many Mm. whereas look a decade younger or a decade younger again and there's so many more but I think it is the thing for me is that I actually I suppose I don't really like the phrase coming out you know as non-binary but I don't think there's anything better so you know I probably only came out like what uh I don't know seven six seven years ago or something Mm -hmm. relatively recently in in terms of my life but it it was always something that it that I was but I just didn't really have the language to to express it and and it for me the whole process was about a realization um about my kind of how how I you know experienced my gender and then I was like and when I finally got it I was like oh gosh yeah this makes totally makes sense to me now yeah and now I've totally forgotten what your question was <laughs> no that's okay <laughs> we've gone on, we, we've gone on to a different topic but it's something we've not talked about before mm. um and I don't know if you'd be open to talking about it but mm. uh, what, what is the you, I know you've said that coming out isn't the right word but the best mm. word for it but what exactly was your story how 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 did your life play out from your sexuality point of view mm. or or non-binary point of view? I don't know if se- sexuality point of view is the right thing to say. Mm. Well, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that I, I think that gender and sexuality, of course, they are linked, but they are distinct and different things. So um, I came out as queer, like in my 20s. Um, and that in itself, I suppose you could say, is relatively late. A lot of people nowadays are, are coming out when they're still at school. And for me, I just... And it might have been this kind of, um, I don't know, difficulty in terms of of navigating the the path with with regards to gender and sexuality for me, because 
I don't know there wasn't there's not a lot of people when I was younger that you could look up to and like I think homophobia was a lot more tolerated um Mm -hmm. at least things have improved in that side of things and as I say like I think not that I'm wanting to imply that it's easier for binary trans people and what and what I mean by that is that people that have been assigned the wrong gender at birth so somebody who's assigned female at birth but is a man or trans man or somebody assigned um uh male at birth who's a trans woman now by I think the binary trans experience and this is not an experience that I've had so I don't really want to be talking over somebody else but you know I think there's a clearer kind of sense that you are you know you have been assigned the wrong gender whereas for me I had that but then I was like I don't fully feel like a man Mm -hmm. and I think that was the difficulty for me because I was like I don't feel like a man but I don't feel like a woman either and there really wasn't anything else that existed between those two binaries and you know that's what society tells you really society tells you that you're a man or you're a woman yeah and like the entirety of society is organized around those two concepts so in some ways I'm not terribly surprised that it did take me a bit longer but yeah now as soon as I kind of met non-binary people and kind of read about non-binary I was like oh my god this is this is exactly what I am so did you feel like you kind of had a you finally felt seen because yeah you understand you, you kind of fit in almost you fit into a box even though it's non-binary <laughs> <laughs> even though like by definition non-binary is like rejecting the box <laughs> yeah, absolutely I see what you mean but yeah exactly uh, and it yeah exactly and um it was uh yeah it was kind of like a life-changing for me really and how did Just... people around you take it how did your friend friends and family feel about that um well my partner was very supportive and and particularly unsurprised but has a very very similar approach to gender that I do and so that was not really a big deal at all Mm. um and yeah all my friends have have pretty much been very been great about it I mean I've got a lot of um queer non-binary friends anyway Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like for them not such a big surprise and I suppose for the kind of non-queer <laughs> folks it's just it was just oh another thing and I was like yeah I've got another thing now <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's like every few years I've got a new thing <laughs> but uh yeah but uh, no I think everyone's very supportive because they can see that I'm a lot happier yeah and um you know and I actually had um part of that journey was I had top surgery um about just over a year ago now and honestly I just feel like fantastic after that I really just feel like I'm the person that I'm was supposed to be that's so nice nice. to hear yeah that is really nice to hear and like you say you're 41 and Mm. I guess you you, sorry I didn't mean to (laughs) (laughs) but like I guess you, you must have spent a lot of your life kind of feeling confused about which like how you fit into society yeah, I, I don't know if it was confused. I think it was probably more frustrated. And, yeah, and like, that's a better word. I, I think I've always been the kind of person that um, I kind of like set my, I have my own kind of rules and logic. And I've got this weird thing where I'm like, in some ways I'm quite, I do follow rules. But if I think the rules are like stupid, then I don't. <laughs> I think it's just been my I've just always done things my own way. So I think it's kind of in some ways it's very much 
kind of the whole thing fits me very much as a person and I think most yeah. who know know me would probably probably agree with that yeah as knowing as knowing you for a year I also agree with that <laughs> um you talked about how the world is very binary and mm. that is another huge thing I've learned from you because it really is even like being on neonates together mm. when we say it's a boy and a girl when we do the pink and blue oh, we have mr and mrs aunt and uncle like everything is yeah. to do with whether you're a man or a woman and the the more you are aware of it the more it just becomes so obvious how binary the world is um I just wondered if you wouldn't mind talking a bit more about that and also about your experience being non-binary in a neonatal setting where we're constantly surrounded by boys and girls Mm. as babies Mm. oh yeah I mean you're right actually neonatal is particularly like I mean it I think it really makes you realize that how like because as far as I'm concerned babies don't really have a gender in the kind of in the sense of the world word that you think of gender as kind of you know a complex mix of kind of like gender expression identity um like behaviors etc et babies are like they don't they're nothing are they babies like <laughs> and feed and vomit and that's about it like so how can that entity have a gender right but then on the other hand society is like straight from the beginning it's like oh yes they're a boy or they're a girl and i just find it a bit kind of because it's even when it the kind of language that's used to talk about a baby um you know it's like if it's a boy it's like oh he's so handsome he's gonna be getting all the ladies and it's like dude it's a baby like (laughs) that's really weird and if it's a little girl they're like oh she's so pretty you know and it's like what why are we doing this because I don't know I just find it a little bit mind-boggling and the the real thing is is that I a good friend of mine actually had a baby um I think she's coming up to three so a few years ago and she's um like has previously worked in charities like relating to uh like queer like things charities etc etc so it's very much even though she would say she's cis, cis hetero, she's, you know, very, very like um, into queer culture, has a lot of queer friends, etc. And she was like, I'm going to try to bring up my child in a gender neutral way. Mm-hmm. What she meant by that, it wasn't that she was going to like, you know, pick a gender neutral name and but but rather just kind of not dress her because her child is a um, lovely little kid, actually. Um, and try not to dress her in like, stereotypical girls clothes not try not to give her just stereotypical girls toys and you know that kind of thing and just let her kind of experience things and play with toys etc that she wanted to Mm. and she she was like oh my god Katie it's impossible because it like shops do not stock like gender neutral clothes and 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 I was like oh my god so it's like even if you want to try and give your child like or you know kind of allow them to develop in a way that's like perhaps not you know it's insidious and like even the stuff they're watching on tv and stuff and the toy you know the toys that are marketed and even sometimes when like the slogans that are on t-shirts there was like Mm -hmm. a big thing about this a few years ago when there was like some t-shirt in I don't know some supermarket or something and like the, the boys one was like oh you know something about being an astronaut and then the girl girls one was like oh don't I look pretty today and it was just like this is ridiculous yeah it really is ridiculous and I think when you start like 
looking at it in that way mm. it's very hard to like unnotice it and then suddenly I think you go a bit crazy with it or at least I feel like I do and I just can't like s- stop seeing it everywhere no I agree I, I I do see it everywhere now and especially now I'm more aware of it mm. so to, to you in an yeah. ideal world how would we how would gender work wow well that is a question and I think the point that that I would say is that like it's it's up for it should be up to everybody how they identify themselves and I and I think that the really interesting thing is that um there is a very active um gender critical um uh movement shall we say in the UK which is very very anti-trans and um is kind of spearheading this horrendous kind of attack on trans human rights and this kind of thing but the irony of it is that they have they're kind of more stuck to weird gender stereotypes than trans people and what i mean by that is that um like i i believe that everybody should have freedom of gender identity and expression so like to me if there is somebody who is a, a cis woman and identifies as a woman and doesn't really matter where, what their sexuality is, whether they're gay, whether they're straight, or identify in a different way. If they want to present in a masculine way, I say good for them. I mm. say they should present however they want to. And I think that's the the irony is is that I think people like I don't know gender critical people. There was some post on Twitter the other day from some gender critical person who um, Emma. Oh gosh, I've forgotten her name. The one that was in Harry Potter. Um, oh. Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Emma Watson, right? Um, so Emma Watson has got this new pixie haircut, right? So like a short haircut. And she looks fantastic. Now, I have no idea how Emma Watson identifies. I think she identifies as a cis woman. And then this gender critical person is like, oh, I wonder when the they, them pronouns will be coming out. And it's just like... <laughs> It's ridiculous. I mean, like, why? I think there's just, I don't know. As I say, for me, anybody should be able to identify how they want. They should be able to have to dress how they want. They should be able to refer to themselves how they want and have the respect of other people to do the same thing. And, you know, they should be able to love who they want. And I think that's really as simple as it is. What would you say to people who kind of who would say but biological sex is what determines gender so which is kind of what we do in neonates and for babies indeed but then i suppose even biological sex as a concept is not as simple as is made out to be right because what do you mean by that do you mean chromosomes mm. do you mean hormone levels do you mean um genitals Genitalia, everybody yeah is obsessed with genitals my <laughs> um does it mean how you know like phenotypically what you look like because you know um you can have obviously you can have very tall women you can have very short men that doesn't mm-hmm. you know so i think even biological sex which is is you know what the gender critical people are obsessed with it's not as simple as is made out to be and that's not even talking about um what we um, rather pejoratively, in my opinion, referred to in medicine as disorder, disorders of sexual dif- differentiation um, or, you know, intersex conditions. Mm. 
and you know that's and okay yeah so that is a small number of people but they are those people are valid as well and um you know they're they're still having genders enforced on them when they're children and sometimes even um you know surgeries when they don't even have a, an ability at that stage to consent into the type of surgeries that they may or may not want so i really don't think um it is as and and my god if you really look think about what the implications of that are saying that you know sex your sex even if you believe that sex is a very simple and immutable thing to say that that should then determine exactly how you behave in society and how you should dress and what roles you should be i mean god it's not the 1930s is it mm. i just think it's really problematic yeah you're right we are obsessed with it's like we're obsessed but we don't even realize it exactly we're, we're obsessed exactly. with gender and exactly and binariness I think. and yet it's the trans people that are obsessed with gender <laughs> <laughs> it's really not it's really not trans yeah. and non-binary people just want to live their lives you know free of kind of like oppression stigma and you know violence which i don't think is a lot to ask no no um, Katie, at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about how if that that you didn't mind that this would be an educational episode for mm. the listeners as well. And um, this was before we were recording. And we mm. were talking about um, how I didn't want to feel that I was putting the onus on you to educate us. And you had a really nice response. I just wondered if you wouldn't mind repeating that for the listeners. I hope I can remember what I said now. But um, I think it was along the lines of, um, I think, like you can never really um, understand what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. And so, and, and it's, it, therefore it's always a striking a balance between wanting to lift people's voices up, but kind of recognizing that actually sometimes it's not fair to ask people who are um, say in a, a marginalized group or whatever, to always be doing the education mm. and education and, um talking about issues because there is obviously a level of emotional and mental and psychological harm that can come from that but i think as long as you're being consensual about it so i am absolutely consenting to talking about this and talking about my experience etc because i feel able to do that and i want to do that and i think it's important to do that so that's kind of where it's coming from really and i'm want to talk about it as well <laughs> I think I remember conversations with me and you where you've kind of said you can't talk about what it's like to be an Asian person and I'm yeah. again I can't talk about what it's like to be a non-binary person mm. but yeah there is that balance of of educating others and not putting the burden on on the marginalized group but also mm. giving them a voice and giving them a platform to speak yeah. and I think I just wanted to, to touch on that as well because I don't mm. want listeners to feel that I've I've put that on you and it's mm. one that we kind of collaboratively decided that this would mm. be a good episode absolutely absolutely on that topic I just wondered if you wouldn't mind mm. going through some definitions for the listeners because I think we can use these words a lot but sometimes you don't actually know what they mean sure so what would you so what is what would you say trans trans means yeah okay so trans um or transgender so trans I guess is an abbreviation for transgender the way the, what that basically means is that you don't um experience or I don't really like the phrase identify because that that seems a bit like it's a choice but I don't know again language mm. I don't always have the best way to refer to it but essentially the the gender you're assigned at birth does not fit you 
Mm-hmm. That's essentially what transgender means. And and the opposite of that is cisgender, so C-I-S. Uh, and that essentially means that you do, you know, experience the gender that you were assigned at birth. So I am a cis woman. Yeah. yeah. And actually, if you remember back to your chemistry, not that I can really, but, you know, cis and trans, you have like isomers or something don't oh, you yeah yeah like so it is like a technically a, a scientific term but yeah so that's and I suppose where non-binary comes in um so non-binary is essentially um kind of an umbrella term who for people that don't experience their gender as either male or female and I guess it's the most well-known kind of umbrella term for that but um that kind of does encompass other kind of ant- identities like say gender queer or um uh yeah uh, uh i've forgotten um the other ones my mind has gone blank again sorry um but essentially it's a kind of an umbrella term and i suppose it's worth saying that not all non-binary people will necessarily identify as trans but Mm -hmm. i personally i do because this is the only the other thing is that i can only talk about my experience um and i think actually coming back to your other point um I think it's really, really important to have an intersectional lens about these kind of things. So like, yes, I'm non-binary, but I also have a lot of privilege in the sense I'm I'm a white middle class um, doctor, you know, so and actually being a doctor in this kind of sphere gives me a great amount of privilege. Mm. It means that I can access healthcare, like I'm able to navigate through that absolute nightmare a lot easier than people uh, non-binary people or trans people that are not doctors mm. and the whole point of intersectionality is that you're recognizing that like different elements of a, your experience contri- contribute to how you um, experience op- oppression and that not any one thing um, is more important than the other so yeah. yes I am like disadvantaged for being a trans non-binary person but equally I have a lot of power from being like white middle class etc yeah we've talked about this a lot at work actually Mm. haven't we when when I've talked about how um maybe nurses or midwives might treat me differently because I'm an Asian woman who looks very young and you've said oh I've never experienced that and we've kind of discussed before about how we've been treated differently because of our different like diversity Mm -hmm. I guess absolutely and you know and that's not even kind of coming into other things like you know being disabled or able-bodied class um you know there's all kinds of of elements and you know I can't know what it's like to be a trans person of color because Mm. I'm not and you know again even the trans and non-binary I suppose voices that we do hear are overwhelmingly white for example and you know so I think it's important to highlight that as well yeah definitely do you mind talking a bit about um any kind of experiences you've had in the workplace with regards to your pronouns or being trans or being um, non-binary? Because like, I, I, I assume you've had quite a few interactions that have been positive and not positive. I just wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing any. Probably the latter more so, I'm afraid. Yeah. But I don't know. It, yeah, I, I think um, really on a daily basis, it, it, it can be quite... Um, uh, kind of really kind of grinds you down a little bit because it's just constant misgendering and like I have I have this thing at, at, at the moment where like there's only a male and a female changing room and I'm just like yeah 
oh, I don't really want to go in the male changing room. I don't really want to go in the female changing room, but there's nothing else. So sometimes I just get changed in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lock the door. Gender neutral changing room. And it's like those kind of things, like even with the like really enthusiastic like people that want to help you, with the best will in the world, they can't just suddenly magic a new changing room, can they? No. And it's so it's like, what do I do? So it's just stuff like that and and you know, even like at one hospital I worked at, like they I was like they were doing those name badges and I was like, look, I just want my pronouns on the name badge. And they're like, oh, sorry, computer says no, we can't put that on. And I was like, are you kidding me? So in the end, I had a little bit of a hissy fit and then I decided I was going to be very clever and I just put my name and then I put they, them in brackets. So and your name. Part of my name. So then I was like, ha, I win. Um, but then like, I still get some stupid questions and people are like, oh, it's like they, them, your surname. And I'm like, no. really? Oh, yeah, you wouldn't believe some of the questions I get, honestly. And, and how about any, how about reactions from parents or patients? I have to say, um, on the most part, people don't even notice. And, and I've taken a conscious decision that while I want to be um, very open and kind of challenging to colleagues and stuff, I, I, I've taken a different, like, view with parents and patients because... I don't really want to make it about me because they're potentially, um, you know, going, they've got a sick kid or something. They're really worried. And then I'm kind of like correcting them on, on how they're referring to me. I don't think it's, a, I don't feel like it's appropriate. But having said that, some people have noticed and, and then actually do kind of make a point of mm. referring to me in, like with the correct pronouns, which is fantastic. And I've actually had some really positive experiences as well with, um, kind of engaging with trans patients that's been like great and then like a hospital I used to work at as well we had this trans patient in at the time um, but I wasn't really involved with them but like the nurses were all telling me how um, the parents were like deliberately misgendering and using the wrong name for this person and how the, the nurses were saying that they were like correcting and like really supporting the young person and and I, I it was really nice because they kind of like came and told me because they knew that I'd be like really supportive about it and That's so nice no it felt really nice I felt like that that you know maybe they would have done that anyway but I, I like to feel that maybe me being there and being a visible kind of trans person is you know maybe kind of like oh I don't want to say inspired because that sounds a little bit big-headed but you know it kind no, of but I, I think you're right though it, it definitely makes a difference so for example I went to a concert on Saturday and Sam Smith um did a surprise appearance and everyone was saying he came he came on stage he was amazing and I was like no guys it's they and like yeah, I wouldn't have even yeah. realized that or thought about it or corrected them if I hadn't had many conversations with you but because because I have, and maybe at the beginning, I, I can't actually remember my initial feelings, but maybe I would have had some resistance at the beginning and confusion as to as to using pronouns and mm. and being non-binary. But mm. now it's almost like we've because of you, I now am a better ally. Yeah, you're and, an ally. You're an advocate. <laughs> Yay! But because of you, that's I'm amazing. a better ally, and like that's the same oh, as what these, these these nurses would experience, though, because the nurses maybe initially may have felt like why have they got pronouns as they them that makes no sense mm. but mm. now then they have a patient and and I guess your relationship with a patient is different to your relationship with a colleague or mm. to a doctor and then you have a patient who is non-binary and you get it and you're more supportive because 
you've almost like broken down that barrier or started to yeah. break it down to help make it more helpful for them the next person that comes along yeah but this is it I'm happy to do that like I want to do that because at the end of the day um if I can make life a little bit easier for some trans young person that comes to hospital then that I will be like that will be me done I'll be delighted do you know what I mean well I think you already do do that so that's very kind of you <laughs> um Thinking of that, how as healthcare professionals, because I think most people that listen to the podcast are medical students or doctors, how do you think we would be better healthcare professionals towards trans, non-binary, queer, LGBTQ mm. plus patients? Because even as someone who's done peds for two years, mm. um, I still sometimes feel that I don't fully know what I'm doing. And I've, I've been educated by you and by others, but how, what, what kind of key things do you think are important when looking after LGBTQ plus patients? Yeah, I think I think that's a really a really important question. I mean, I think the first thing is just to try and have a little bit of kind of compassion and and um, uh, kind of I don't know humility. I don't know if that's perhaps the right word. I think we always we've always got this thing that oh we must try and understand what it's like to be somebody else. We must try and understand what it's like to be our patients. I think that that's like a load of old rubbish because I personally don't believe that you can really truly understand what it's like to be somebody else or truly understand what it's like to experience their life and you know I think for example with like being trans people are like, oh gosh I couldn't imagine being trans and one thing I, I read once I thought it was quite an interesting way of thinking about it because a lot of people go uh, oh so I'm a woman I, I just can't imagine what it would be like to, to be a man like and that's how they kind of try and um, think about it but actually it's more like you are a woman, but everybody thinks you're a man and treats you like a man. That's what it's like to be trans. Mm. So it's actually very different. But I don't think really you could truly understand that if that is not your experience. And I think you've just got to be kind and you've just got to trust people and listen to them. Um, and I think the other thing I would say as well is and I know this is another thing that I like to bang on about quite a lot, but I think we are trained in medicine very much to kind of, it's a lot about pattern recognition, but it's about spotting pathology and what is not pathology. So again, it's, it's binary. And I don't, I don't know if you will quite believe this because I certainly didn't believe this um, when I read it, but being transgender is still listed as a, as a psychiatric disorder in the DSM. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Still. And it was actually only depathologized as part of the ICD, which is the other kind of um, uh, codex of, of pathology that exists. And that was only in 2019. Oh, wow. Three years ago. And still to this day, a lot of practitioners um equate being trans with being pathological when really what it you should be pathologizing is the state of distress that trans and non-binary people experience resulting from gender incongruence or um um but actually more likely from like the stigma that society puts puts on people mm. and you know i think that's really really important it's like it's not a you problem, it's a us as a society problem, but we've turned yeah. it into a you problem. Exactly. And I think once you start thinking, I think you can think about a lot of things in that in that way. 
actually. And it's very much, um, uh, have you heard of kind of like the so it's the social model of disability versus the biomedical yeah. model model, and it's the idea that people don't disabled people don't have they are disabled by the way that society responds to their disability they are not inherently like flawed human beings it's how society is not meeting their needs and i think that's how we should think about it is that flip it around onto its head and i think that the more that you start thinking like that as well it it kind of then becomes you can't you can't turn it off (laughs) yeah uh, but if you think about it like as doctors we have a lot of power and in terms of deciding um, and I think particularly in relation to mental health deciding what is pathology and what is not and if you think about there's many examples through history where you can see that power has been misused and that's why for me I it's something that I really like to be mindful of and to talk about a lot but as I say I do feel it does very much uh, kind of affect me in being a trans non-binary person and also being neurodivergent I suppose as well. Well, What do you think as healthcare professionals we could do better or as an NHS system or as a healthcare system what do you think we could do better? That is a very big and difficult question. I mean on a system side I mean I think the trans healthcare is a bit of a joke in this country and that that is the case for children, young people and adults. Um, I mean, the waiting lists are years long. Um, and actually, you won't perhaps even believe this as well, but um, even if you say want top surgery or something privately. So I was a private um, patient. I, I decided mm-hmm. because of various reasons, I wanted to do that privately. Now, you're obviously as an adult assumed to have capacity right and Mm. if I wanted to I could decide to have plastic surgery to make my face look like a cat if I so wanted everyone would be like okay well you must really like cats but you know that's fine crack on you want to do that that's fine if I want to get uh surgery to remove my breasts um I have to get a psychology assessment um, to do that. So I have to go and see a, a kind of um, a psychologist um, who specialises in gender identity and they have to do this very intrusive, invasive assessment of me and then say, yes, it's okay for this person to have surgery. Even if you're a private patient. Can you believe that? No, that's mad. Unreal. And I, re- I really like your cat analogy. Yeah, I just, so I just, th- I just like think of. I mean, I no offense to people who want to have, you know, pl- plastic surgery to look like cats. You know, you crack on with that. But I just find it slightly ludicrous that you could do something like that. But you know, anything that messes messes with this kind of like gender, it's such an entrenched kind of thing. It's like you must have something wrong with you. Yeah. You but e- but even if you wanted breast augmentation, you yeah. don't need that, do you? Exactly. Gosh. And like, I think some people are like, some trans people are getting so frustrated with the whole process that like, oh, maybe it would be better to go through the plastic surgery route and get a reduction because maybe I would have less gender dysphoria from that. Mm. And, you know, again, like I was lucky. That was me having a lucky experience because I had money that I could 
um, you know, pay for this surgery privately. And I tell you what, it was not cheap. Yeah. But think about those people that don't have access to that. And they're just stuck on these waiting lists for years and years. And when I say years and years and years, I am not exaggerating. I think the people that are being sent, seen by the gender, the adult gender clinics right now were referred in 2017, I want to say. Oh, gosh. And that's bearing in mind that's 20, 2017 or 2018. And bearing in mind that's for first appointment. No. Yes. It's, I, I, again, I really, I think if there was any area of healthcare, if it was like um, services for children with cancer, you know, there would be absolute uproar as they as they rightly should be because yeah. obviously that's a you know but i would also i would argue that like a lot of uh trans and particularly trans young people while they're in this kind of period where they can't access any health care you know a lot of the time they have really severe mental health problems there's like a lot of self-harm there's a lot of a suicide um risk so you know actually if you look at the mortality rates it's like quite high as well mm. and i don't know it just it just feels very unfair i think and i mean at the end of the day every healthcare decision is a political decision by definition because you are choosing to fund services for one group of patients and not for another and of course society has to make decisions about that but i don't know i think it's i think people don't really understand like what it really is like for a lot of people do you think it will change as the younger generation get older i re i really really hope so i really hope so because it's certainly not going to change with with our current government because they're um very very um not only transphobic but lgbtq rights have like taken a massive step back as well um yeah. so it's actually a very scary time to be quite yeah. honest with you um, but I, yeah, I think I really hope that um, young people, yeah, are they are the future. And, you know, for young people nowadays, like pronouns, you know, gender identity, etc. It's it's nothing. They mm. literally, they don't, that's not interesting to them. Like, they will have like, probably 20 non-binary friends. And, and, you know, that's not a big deal. It's amazing how, how much things have changed, even in like 10 years. Because, mm. yeah, as as I said earlier, I hadn't even really thought about pronouns until maybe mm. eighteen months ago, two years ago, if I if I'm honest. Mm, and absolutely. children these days are growing up with it. And and like we used to, I we used to use gay as an insult when we were young, and yeah. didn't didn't bat an eyelid. It would just be yeah, the thing yeah, we yeah. said. And like children nowadays don't do that because they're just. I want to say they're more woke, but I don't know if that's the appropriate thing Again, to say. Oh my god, I can't believe that woke has been like captured as some like <laughs> negative term as well. Has I it? That's... Yeah, because there's all these like people that are like, oh like war on woke, war on woke. Wasn't one? I'm sure one of the um, conservative leadership candidates was like all about war on woke. Oh yeah, is that? I'm not even going to talk about her because she just makes me too angry. Yeah. But like. I just I, I I think when you deconstruct some of these things it, it again it really boggles my mind because I'm like hang on supposedly being woke is like somebody who's like aware to like um aware about difference aware about kind of that other people might have like 
you know different experiences to them might have bad and I'm like how is that a bad thing no I think it's a great thing exactly (laughs) I'm happily I'm delighted to describe myself as woke yeah I think the people that are using it as an insult need to like jog on frankly I need to wake up indeed indeed. (laughs) Katie you talked earlier about being Mm. neurodivergent and that is another topic I wanted to touch on with you because Mm. You often talk to me about that as well. So do you mind explaining yes. what that means and how it impacts your life? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so basically, I was diagnosed with um, ADHD, so attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, when I was, funnily enough, when I was at medical medical school, uh, during my final exams, actually. Um, and it was one of those like, kind of light bulb moments because all my friends had been saying to me for years, oh my God, like clearly you've got ADHD. And I think anyone that actually knows me, I mean, I do kind of fit the stereotype because ADHD is not something that you can suddenly get in adulthood. It's something that you ha- have had your whole life. Hmm. But there seems to be this weird thing that um, if you are generally like considered to be smart and you do well at school, et cetera, et cetera, like you couldn't possibly have a condition like ADHD or dyslexia or something. Um And it's slightly bonkers again. And um, essentially, yeah, neurodiversity just um, refers to this idea. I think it became popular in the 90s, but is kind of much, much more popular, popular, popularly used term nowadays um, that, you know, neurodevelopmental diversity is like a part of normal variation. Mm. It's this idea that, um, again, it comes back to this issue of pathology and not pathology. It's like um it's just diversity and that there isn't one way of thinking learning or behaving and that actually having diversity in the way people's brains work is again a really can be a really positive thing for society and like for me I, I would say that okay of course I've got negative elements of ADHD but you know what? I have some really positive things for it as well. I think it um, really explains my passion and drive for things. Like I get, I'm, I feel so passionately about things that it really spurs me to to do things and like to you know, even like I suppose the career change changing from like you know, bearing in mind my first degree was in like economics and politics and I hadn't even done science A level and I was like do you know what I'm I'm going to go to medical school (laughs) and like I was teaching myself like science while I had like a full-time job and I had to pass this like absolutely bonkers exam called the GAMSAT which I'm sure some people will experience the horror of that exam as well um and I was like you know I'm just gonna do it and I just really put my entire self into it and I achieved it and some people were like oh my god I can't believe you done you did that and I was like well that's what I wanted to do so I did it yeah and like I think you know I can hyper focus on things for hours so I'm very lucky because I love learning and that's one of the things that really um appealed to me about medicine is that I just love learning about things and like learning how things work and like like following patterns it just I get really excited and so I can literally hyper focus on like studying for hours and hours and hours and then I'm like oh my god I've like been studying for five hours and I've not mm. eaten or drank anything and you know there are obviously has to say negative side effects but but you know that's that's great isn't it and um yeah and I just think it's again it's just looking at the world and saying 
you know it's everything doesn't have to be the default like actually people who do things differently bring great things to society and I think that's another part of it really for me how do you find having ADHD and being a doctor well um I made the very conscious decision uh during my F2 year that I was gonna start medication Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, as you'll know um, medication for ADHD is actually really really effective um, it works straight away so it's not like a, a medication like um, I don't know antidepressants or something where you have to kind of it takes a number of weeks like you literally get the benefits straight away and like my F1 year was hard and I was like oh my god I don't know if I can have something that's going to help me a little bit through this, I'm, I'm going to try it because I was a little bit, I did have that classic thing of like, oh, I don't really like the idea of taking medicine, which is a very like <laughs> privileged view in itself that like, it's not something I've had to do really before, but I was like, oh, I feel a bit weird about it. But I was like, no, no, I'm going to try it. And I think it did, it has really helped me. Um, I think my main issue is that I, my working memory is not very good. And so if there's a lot of things going on at once, um, things I just I can't focus on multiple things at once. Mm -hmm. So I used to find sometimes on like really busy ward rounds, like sometimes I could just there was too much going on and I couldn't like get it all. And but, you know, I developed my ways of working through it and writing lots of lists and things like that. Um, But yeah, for sure, the medication helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just I'm very much more aware of it now and I think I'm aware of like I do sometimes get overwhelmed by situations if if I find if like there's so much going on that I can't hold it in my head which is obviously kind of what working memory does yeah I get really overwhelmed and stressed and I think I recognize that a bit in myself more now so I'm like more like self-aware yeah and I'm more willing to ask people for help mm-hmm. which I I think as doctors we really don't do enough no like I work with plenty of folks who'd be like you know who'd be on a like a short shift and they would stay till like eight o'clock because they couldn't possibly hand it over to their colleagues and I was like dude like you're staying here for three hours for no reason like it's totally valid to hand these jobs over to your colleague but people have got this weird thing that they have to do everything themselves and I'm telling mm. you you don't that is toxic that is like self-sabotaging behavior yeah. and nobody likes asking for help but my god like you know you need to ask for help I mean how many times when I've <laughs> been on the postnatal ward have I been like Panica, I need help <laughs> help me yeah and then I've been the opposite where I've been I've stayed till eight and then the next day the reg is like why didn't you ask for help exactly. like there were three regs floating and I'm like I actually don't know why I didn't yeah so yeah I am um, I sometimes fall into the other category but I'm generally try to leave on time as well I don't know I think it's just like made me more aware of these things and like actually that that's okay to like be having a bad day and to not yeah. be coping with things because sometimes our job is like ridiculous you know yeah Sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, this is my job. Like you'll go to delivery and the baby's really sick and then you just yeah. go and finish ward round. And then you're like, sometimes it really does feel like a lot and we kind of have become used to it. But sometimes when you kind yeah. of take a step back, you're like, this is actually quite weird that this is my day to day job. And it's a lot. And you have to kind of appreciate that and respect that and, and mm. give yourself time to unwind when you need it. Oh, 100%. And I think particularly in neonates, like it, it is just... Like, I can't, sometimes I go home and I'm like, 
I cannot believe that my job involves going to like the birth of human beings yeah. and resuscitating them and then mm. like, going back to the ward and it's like, oh, that's like a perfectly normal job to have, isn't yeah. it? I'm just yeah. like, it's bonkers, isn't it? it yeah, really it really is. is. <laughs> but it's probably one of my most favourite parts of the job, actually. Yeah, me too. I love going to deliveries. Oh, <laughs> and I also love peas. And I think you do too yeah. from, from I what do. I do. <laughs> it is... It is great. And I think it's a real privilege to like advocate for children. Mm. And I feel that I feel like, you know, children are always um, innocent. In, and that's for me, like I, I did kind of sometimes in adult medicine get really frustrated by mm. like, I don't know, people making bad decisions. And of course, people got every right to make bad decisions. But sometimes you were like, you know, you're, you're really harming yourself here. And yeah. And yet with with kids it's like you're really it's almost the other way around that you're really advocating for them you're making sure and sometimes it's even you're advocating advocating for them against the the people that should be looking after them and who are not doing a good job I mean Mm. I know you and I have both seen some yeah of that where you know parents are not not taking control of their children's health conditions and the children are suffering and you know I think it's a, a privilege to to be able to to work with patients like that I agree so coming to the end of the episode now I wanted to ask you it might might be a tricky question but no I don't think it's what you think I'm going to ask Uh, I wanted to ask you what might be a tricky question but say someone's listening to this um, and they feel that they understand what it means to be LGBTQ plus much more now and they understand what it means to be non-binary what kind of advice, I want to say what three things would you say, but you don't have to think of three. What kind of advice would you give to someone listening to be a better ally? Okay, well, three things. Okay, well, I think firstly, I think the number one thing is just try and educate yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so read, listen, um, try and explain you know hear from trans and non-binary and other lgbtq um, plus people if if you're not lgbtq yourself then try and access stuff that is is written and, and made by people that are and i can there's tons of um resources i can recommend um i think um the transgender issue is a fantastic book by a writer called sean fay who's a, a trans woman and it's a really accessible well-written book about essentially trans transgender experience and particularly focus on the UK so I'd mecha- recommend that to everybody um another fantastic one one of my favorite writers is someone called Meg John Barker who is um a non-binary writer um and does has like fantastic blogs around like uh sex and, rela- sex and relationships advice and like gender identity and blah 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 but they write this fantastic book called um beyond the binary and it's kind of looking at the kind of binary um structures that we have in society so things like gender binary gender but also things like um binary sexualities and then thinking about binary between like uh, disability and able bodies and and kind of Mm -hmm. why these binaries are really problematic and it really opened my eyes because as someone who i was like oh you know i'm already definitely on this kind of you know way of thinking this book made me kind of go oh my god i i'm i haven't even begun to think about it so that i would super recommend um there's also a really good podcast called um nb my non-binary life which is on um bbc sounds 
and that's um, done by someone called Amru Al-Khadi, who is a fantastic Muslim uh, drag queen, mm-hmm. alter ego, called Glamru, uh, and Caitlin ben- Benedict, and they're both non-binary anyway, so that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I don't know if I even need two and three, because I think it's just about educating yourself, mm-hmm. being aware that... I don't know, thinking critically, I think, about some of the things that you read and see in the media, because the media in the UK is overwhelmingly transphobic. And yeah. when they're presenting like trans issues as a debate, a trans right debate, it's called. Could you imagine if you if you replaced trans with any other kind of minority group yeah. and said that it was a debate about their rights and yet it's the equivalence of balance when a a kind of a gender critical or like a transphobic person is put debating with a trans person and yet that's what the bbc and other media um outlets do time and time again so i think it's just being a bit critical and kind of going you know what that's not okay actually and actually seeking out as i say media that is is more independent because it's really not and I and I, I think that applies, unfortunately, to the left wing media as well. It's not just the right wing media. Hmm. So I think I've just got two things. <laughs> that's fine. No, that's really helpful. And I will leave a list of your recommendations in the show notes so that people can kind of have a look and and see what they can educate themselves with. And then, Katie, the question that I know you weren't looking forward to, <laughs> but I always ask on my podcast. And I know this was more of an educational podcast episode rather than a tell me about your life. But we had a bit of a mix. So what piece of advice would you give to a younger version of Katie? Gosh. um, So I suppose like I have this thing where I'm like, I think it's really important never to to regret decisions in your life. Because Mm -hmm. I think like every decision I've taken and every path I've taken has led me to where I am and I'm happy where I am. So I don't think I think my advice would perhaps just be, you know, you are never going to fit in you are never going to fit in and you know what that's okay you are an awesome person and you are going to do good things with your life and yeah you you will you will get there because yeah there were times when I was younger where I did feel very I don't know isolated and had Mm. and, and I'm like you know what I can't even remember that now because I'm just, I know who I am. I know what I'm meant to do and I'm happy. (laughs) Yeah. I think even I can relate to that. And I'm sure lots of other listeners would, because I definitely had times at medical school where I felt really low, really that I just life would be better without me here. And now I've like, I guess that your advice would apply to even a younger version of me. And I feel like now I'm really happy. I'm really content. And those sad days were for quite a few years I'll be honest um at med school but I kind of don't really remember them now and I'm very happy now and I'm thriving and I think it's it's nice to kind of look back and and see how far you've come from in that perspective good for you (laughs) you are doing an awesome job thanks I did not mean to make this about me but I I do relate no but you are podcast I god knows how you find time to do this on top of medicine but uh I've very much uh enjoyed listening to it as well Thank you, Katie. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I am really, really grateful. Um, You've been amazing. Thank you so much for having me.
it's I, I I feel like I've just gone on lots of little rants about things, but I don't know. Anyone that knows me will know that's kind of what I do. But also you've provided so much education to the listeners. Like I'm so sure people would have found this episode really, really helpful. So all the tangents have been excellent and really helpful. Thank you so much, Katie. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show so far, then don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on your podcast app as it really helps other people find out about it. If you have any feedback or suggestions, drop me a line on my Instagram at Dr. Radica. The link is in the show notes. Have a good week.